Welcome to Nerds of the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality of pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sammy. And I took the week off last time. And so uh, Dwayne felt emboldened um, to take a week off. And so uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just missed. I'm just messing with Dwayne when he has to edit this thing. <laughs> um, now we're going to miss him. And I was really looking forward to. Uh, hearing his thoughts on War for the Planet of the Apes. So I'm going to have to pick his brain later. Um, yeah. But that is what we're reviewing this week. It was one of my picks, and I have this weird, long-term fascination with these Planet of the Apes movies. Um, I mean, grow, when I was a kid growing up, it wasn't Star Wars that, that had caught my, my fancy. It was the Apes movies. And so mm. I, I don't know. I've had this long-term, I think it was, I don't know. I must have caught it at the perfect age at the right time on TBS at some point, And it just grabbed me. It just but, grabbed you from there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, to, to go with nerds tradition, um, we're watching not the first movie in the trilogy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we are a sequel show. <laughs> and I upped the ante. I didn't go with the second one this time. I went all the way to the third movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But we will get back to War, War for the Planet of the Apes. It's a, it's a lot of title, though. Um, we're going to get back to this ape movie after we keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. Sammy, what you got? Okay, so I guess I am going to lead off our Keep It in 100 this week. So I will start my timer. And after all of these months... I have finally gotten around to watching the Netflix original Enola Holmes. And it was good. Um, you know, I, I, I already had a number of major pluses in my book. You had Billy Bobby Brown as Enola, Henry Cavill as Sherlock, and Helena Bottom Carter playing their mother. So, I mean, right away, I was already in immediately with those. But truly, it is a great, and I would almost say a YA movie. So I think it, it, it works, especially for those maybe middle grade audiences. If you're wanting to get somebody introduced to the world of Sherlock Holmes and what that's about, um, I think Enola Holmes works really well. You know, this is based on a book, so it's a good way to also translate into maybe getting a, a person reading. Uh, so this is based on the book Enola Holmes and the Case of the Missing Marquess. So I definitely would recommend this if you're a fan of Holmes stories it's worth a watch, and that's why Nola Holmes is this week's keeping it one hundred. Right, yeah, that's been on my radar, and I'm trying to because I've got daughters, and so I'm trying to find a time we're all home, got a couple hours free, and yes, yeah, so I'm waiting to watch it with my girls. Yeah, and you know it's it's been out a while, and I keep going. You know, I need to watch that. You know, I need to watch that, and. One day this past week, I was like, you know, I'm watching this thing. I need to watch it. So, All right. Well, um, I'm up next. Uh, I don't need to say that because there's only two of us this week. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just it's a tradition. It's a tradition. I've had a long couple of days. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Um Mine is kind of a sideways theme pick uh, this week. Um, I didn't appreciate, on the episode I was gone, you all make references to the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes movies. Um, I try to pretend that movie didn't happen. <laughs> but um, I can't not call him this. Marky Mark was in that movie. Um, <laughs> I, I'm of the age where I can't not think of him as Marky Mark. Um, he wasn't terrible in that movie. He wasn't the problem. Um, but there is a Mark Wahlberg movie that I love. Uh, he's co-starring with Will Ferrell in The Other Guys. It is, it's inappropriate, it's not politically correct, but it is this weird, hilarious, slightly satire parody of like, it's kind of a send-up of, of over-the-top cop movies. And it is my, hands down, my favorite, you know, Mark Wahlberg movie. Um, it's up there with Will Ferrell movies. I mean, it's, it's Other Guys or Elf are probably my two favorite. Will Ferrell movies. Um, <laughs> Talladega Nights is really good, too. <laughs> um, 
but Michael Keaton is in that movie and he plays this weird, bizarre police captain that like moonlights at Bed Bath and Beyond and you know, speaking in TLC lyrics for half the movie. I mean, it's just this strange movie. But I mean, I don't know that there's another movie um, that's come out in the last 10, 15 years that I laugh consistently from beginning to end like I do with the other guys. And so that is this week's Keeping It 100. All right. And you let's see, th- didn't they team up also for for another movie? I think so. I can't remember. It, it like like Daddy's Home or something. Yeah, like that, that. that's it. That's it. Yeah, because I, I was thinking I'd seen them together in another one. Also, that probably that was it. I believe. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting team up, and I agree the whole Marky Mark thing. I, I have a tough tough <laughs> time myself. So. Well, it's just like I have a hard time seeing Donnie without thinking new kids on the block, but you know, <laughs> he was a bad boy. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's time for the opening thoughts and grades. So it's time to get back to the planet of the apes. And I, we timed this, we, 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 uh, we, you know, rearranged this wrong. I'm supposed to go last cause it was my pick, but, um, <laughs> Well, that's the next movie in it. Back to the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, but uh, before before I give my grade, I, I have a question for you, Sammy. What 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 sort of what's your history with the eight movies? Um, you know, I think with me, the obviously that you talked about the TBS stuff. The original I remember really well. Now the other four sequels, I don't have a whole lot of memory of. But I remember watching some of the television show. I think maybe Nickelodeon w- was showing some of those at one point. Um, it, it was I can't remember which channel it was, but I just remember a buddy of mine had the channel. I didn't, so anytime I was his house, you know, it was there. But um, that was probably it, you know. And I've always loved them. I was always fascinated, even as a kid. You know, uh, the Mego toys. Uh, you know, Mego was a big toy company back in the seventies, and and. You know that kind of thing, and um, I, I was alive. Then I don't know. I know, and <laughs> and I think I had maybe I had Ursus in Amigo. I can't remember if it's Ursus uh, or possibly even just Cornelius. I can't remember, but um, but yeah, that it was a it was kind of one of those sci-fi franchises that I watched a lot on television. So I was just curious. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So as far as thoughts and grades. Um, I love the original movies. Four out of the five of them. <laughs> even even beneath the Planet of the Apes, I, I love that movie. Um, it's a little rough. I know it's it's got flaws. Um, I still dig it. Um, I, I acknowledge flaws. Um, it's okay. But the the quality level from Rise through this entire trilogy, um, I think it's got a higher batting average than the original movies do. Um, it doesn't have the shock value, the out of nowhere, um, thing that the first movie had. Um, cause it was a, pr- I, I, I definitely wasn't alive then, but it was a pretty no. unique movie for that, that time frame. Yeah. Um, and, and even like as a kid, when I watched it, it felt different than a lot of other movies I was watching. So the, so this new, this new trilogy d- doesn't have that, you know, unique thing about it. It's clearly building on something else, but I think the batting average is really high and I would give two out of the three of them an A plus and the, another one, an A, and this is one of the A plus out of the series. Mm. Um, I think Matt Reeves really, I think, I think Matt Reeves took the series over at dawn and did a really good job. And I think he leveled up for this movie and I think he gets the most out of his actors in this movie. Um, for, <laughs> for a movie, it's like what? 70% CGI characters. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they feel like real characters, you know, and that's that can't be easy for a director to do. And this is only yeah. like he's I think he's I still don't think he's directed double digit movies yet. So he's still a young director. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, I think it's an impressive feat. And so a, a plus for me. Cool. But I'm a homer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we were talking about watching you know some of the the originals and and things like that you know with this series i'd watched rise i remember james franco and and the whole rise of the planet movie i I think i rented it when it came out the first time um 
but I had not seen this movie. Somewhere I fell off with Dawn and War, and I didn't watch them. So this was my first watch for War for the Planet of the Apes. And, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, and what I really liked is in the original movies, the apes are often portrayed as the protagonists, you know, or, or as the antagonists, I mean. And this movie made you sympathize a little bit more with the apes, you know, because of the twist, the way the humans treated them, the way, you know, and, and you get a little bit of that in um, in Escape. You, you, you play that a little bit in, in the original series. But for this, you know, a modern context, I thought that really worked, um, you know, to see where nowhere eventually will go. There were a few things I feel were maybe a bit strange for me, and I think that's coming in being a fan of the original series. But other than, but I, I still can't knock it down for those things. So I'm going to agree with you, Jamie. Uh, this was a good pick. So I'm going to go A plus myself. All right, nice. So, uh, so the question is, do we <laughs> automatically put it into the ring because the two hosts gave it an A plus, or do we have to get Dwayne's approval? <laughs> well, I think Dwayne did watch the movie, uh-huh. and so we'll get a grade from him maybe next week. Okay, posthumously or. How do you say that word? Put it in the <laughs> ring. <laughs> uh, but th- but this this is the movie. If you remember uh, on our news episodes back when we did news episodes, um, when the whole when thing went went bad. Twenty nineteen. But like when 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 Ben Affleck left the Batman and Matt Reeves took over, and we're like, well, that's weird. And I, I kept telling you guys, like, I trust Matt Reeves. Mm-hmm. I trust Matt Reeves. And then he cast, you know, our sparkly vampire guy to be Batman. And I'm like, I, I don't know about this, but I trust Matt Reeves. <laughs> I trust Matt Reeves. There you go. This, this is the movie that inspired that in me. I mm. mean, the quality of this movie and how impressed I was by the direction of this movie that made me keep saying that over and over again on those news episodes. I trust Matt Reeves. Well, we'll get we'll get into it because I think we have a specific award for that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, there, there's definitely some things that that I think Reeves brings to this movie that makes it stand out for me. So, well, I bet under the mo- the monkey suits and the the, the ape suits, I'm sorry, they'll make them angry. Ooh. But <laughs> under the ape suits in the old movies, I bet it got pretty hot. So let's go find some of Dwayne's fans. Graphically novel: Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. Uh, Sammy, what was your fan? Okay, you know, I think what makes war so appealing to me is all of this lead-up, when you get to the end of the movie... It just, for a fan of the original, it just comes home, you know, and and I love that, you know, and I think Matt Reeves is channeling maybe a, a love of those classic apes movies because there's a lot of things laid throughout this, you know, at the end, the valley they travel to, you know, that's where they build their society in the original planet of the apes, the buttes and all and all that stuff. They're Greek symbols of Alpha and Omega, that's in beneath the planet of the apes. All right. So, so I mean, just those little things that they brought from the classics into this, even just the, the little thing. And I know Maurice, the orangutan, was introduced in Rise. I get that. But I just love the fact that they continue this character of Maurice and the homage to Maurice Evans, who is the original Dr. Zaius. And I, I really think that 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 carries through also. So it just it really reminded me how much I enjoyed this franchise. And actually, as we're recording this, I've been on an apes week myself without TBS. <laughs> so I got the last two to go. <laughs> All right. Um, my my fan for this movie is just the, the courage it took to make this movie. Because if you imagine the pitch meeting <laughs> to the, with the studio. Okay, it's going to be crazy long. It's going to be really slow-paced. 90% of the characters are going to be CGI. The score is going to be super weird and be like the old movies. There are no big stars. Uh, I'm not a famous director yet. Uh, it's also an old-school sci-fi movie, not about action, but about themes and ideas. 
can I can I have a couple hundred million dollars to make this movie? <laughs> oh yeah, and can I have Woody Harrelson also? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, Woody Harrelson is not like you know, he's not you know Bruce Willis or Schwarzenegger in the eighties. I mean, he's not that. I mean, he's a known actor, but he's not like he doesn't open a movie by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just the for the, the movie that this is. It's amazing that it got made because I can imagine the notes that most producers would send Matt Reeves. Like, can we speed this up a little bit? Can we have some more human characters? Uh, how about a little more action? Because, like, don't we go like an hour and a half between any kind of action? I mean, yeah, you, you get a big action scene at the at the front end, and then it, it's a lot of yeah story so to speak until the main end really. And that's where you really get the next bit of, because even in the cave, there's a whole lot that goes on. I mean, you, you get it, you get some, some things happening, but it's not really action packed. So. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's, it's impressive. This movie got made, especially Matt Reeves directing it because um, it's a long time ago now, but if I remember right, when Dawn came out, it was kind of a critical disappointment and it, Flopped a little bit at the box office. Um, it made a lot less money than Rise, if I remember right. And I didn't expect Matt Reeves to get to direct <laughs> the last movie of the trilogy after that, you know? And they let him make this strange movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love it, but it is not, you know, normal, you know, 2000s Hollywood blockbuster material. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, and it's a movie about ideas. It is not normal, you know, sci-fi these days. It's not just a big smash, you know, people in tights and capes punching each other. It's just a movie about ideas. You know, it's about the corrupting power of hatred, uh, the danger of zealotry, um, the danger of messing around with nature, you know, the dangers of un- unbridled science, you know, you know, racism and oppression. It's all here. Th- mm-hmm. th- this is not normally <laughs> what we put in blockbusters anymore. And so I'm stunned that this script got greenlit and I hope we get more like it. I agree. You know, if you think, I mean, this release in 2017, so, I mean, you're smack dab in the middle of the MCU. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I think people were starting to move towards with summer blockbusters. And this was very different. And it had a lot of those themes in it. And and a lot of, I guess, things that, that, that just resound culturally. And, and I think it fits anywhere. I think you could look at this movie and see themes from that could be applied to the 1960s, the 1980s, and now. And I think that's what makes this movie stand out to me also. So, you know, yeah. I think, especially, I think, the the two Matt Reeves-directed movies, they're both very thematically powerful movies mm-hmm. uh, in ways that we don't always get. Um, I mean, we've, we've had a few. Arrival um, was that way. Um, kind of an emotionally thematically powerful movie. We, we don't get a lot of those anymore. And so it's, it's. I mean, I appreciate Big Dumb Fun as much as the next guy. Yeah. But, you know, mix it in, you know, use my brain occasionally. I'm not opposed <laughs> to that. It works. <laughs> but there was one really dark scene in this movie that t- took place in a kitchen. I didn't see the pans, but I'm sure they were there. So let's see if we can find the pans. Wayne's not here. I'm trying. Hey, it's okay, man. You're, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. <laughs> okay, my, my pain for this movie is I wish they had decided if they were doing a reboot or if these were prequels. Because there's a couple of places where I'm scratching my head going, all right, if we're doing a reboot and we're just doing clever little nods, okay, I can live with it. There's a couple of places though where like we're I think they're clearly saying, like, hey, this is the origination of that stuff you saw in those old movies. I'm like, no, it doesn't add up then. Cause like there's no way that little girl is the Nova that hooks up with Charlton Heston. Nope. The time the time frame does not work. Nope. <laughs> and that's the that's the biggest, loudest, obvious, you know, one that doesn't match up. But there's a couple of little things like that where it's like, mm. like guys. You decide. You you need to decide what you're making when you make these things. Are we rebooting or are we prequeling? Because I think they wanted us to feel like these were prequels. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things here and there where it's like, mm, doesn't work. <laughs> and that's my biggest bet. I don't have a lot. You know, it, it's funny. I I went the exact same way. You know. 
um, when you think about this, you know, and, and like you said, is it a reboot or is it, or is it a prequel? You know, some parts feel like a prequel. Like I said, at the end, they get to that valley. Um, so that feels very prequelish. But I agree with you completely. Both the name drop for Cornelius and Nova does not fit. In the original, Charlton Heston gave her the name Nova. She didn't have a name. He called her Nova because he was an astronaut and he was thinking about, you know, space. Um, So it it wasn't, you know, a Chevy that (laughs) that she got her name from. And hundreds of years had passed. Yeah. And and that's the (laughs) other thing. And maybe this isn't the exact same Nova. Maybe, you know, it. They're just giving us those little homages and those little nods. But but I think, you know, especially in a, a I guess, a, a, a culture, a geek culture where where we want things very much delineated in. So how long was there between this movie and the next movie? Why is there not a movie that goes in between? There should be a bridge, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's, we do this with star Wars. We do this with, with the apes. You know, I I think we do this with most geek culture is we want a nice delineated timeline that we can put together. Yes, we know how it works now. You know, kind of deal. We, we, we put a feather in our cap. We get a little nerd star, whatever. But those are, I agree with you. You know, just the idea of dropping those names is great. It, it's kind of a pushback to the original, but the time frame just doesn't work. Um, you know, Linda Harrison's Nova is very memorable in that movie. You know, this, you know, this doesn't match. <laughs> But I think I think especially like you mentioned the ending. I think they were as a clear indication, like this is where the ape culture from those old movies gets set up. I mean, I think that's what we were. I felt like as I'm watching, I'm saying this. That's what I'm supposed to be feeling. Right. This is where all the rest of this is going to take place. But I know it doesn't work. I mean, the rest, a, lot, a lot of the other deals don't work. I get real nerdy, and I'm go, okay, then who's the lawgiver? <laughs> Caesar's not the lawgiver. The lawgiver looked like an orangutan. Is Maurice the lawgiver? Well, they made a really nice po- nice statue of him. He was a much bigger Bornean orangutan there. <laughs> so, they did some Greco-Roman stuff to make uh, you know them look much much smaller. <laughs> you know who wrote the scrolls? I need a movie. <laughs> At least give me a novel. Something. I want a movie uh, though. <laughs> Uh, I, I had a backup pan that I just want to mention. The um, the magic dirt under the human zoo. <laughs> I uh, rolled by a few times. So apparently everything under that compound is about three inches thick. Yeah. But it but it only falls through from underneath. You can't fall through from the top. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. We'll, we'll we'll talk about a few things with that a little bit later, but uh, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. There's a few times I was like, man, should have thought that through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's you want to give out some awards. Let's do it, man. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dot, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. All right. Who's your best performance? All right. Best performance for me. Um, you know, the CG was great, but I think that we needed Woody Harrelson as the Colonel as our antagonist in this movie. And he's such an interesting character. You know, you mentioned the idea of the, this zealot, right? This re- almost religious zealot in some ways, when you start looking at the the iconography that's in it with the Alpha and the Omega, um, you know, all of those types of things, you know, 
that it even puts him at odds with his own government. You know, the idea of how many people are they sending, all of them, you know, that kind of thing. You know, but he comes, he's a smart, determined, fanatical character. And it's so interesting the turn where he gets the virus, you know. So that was kind of, kind of interesting there. And I thought it was an interesting turn. So definitely Woody Harrelson for me. I think he's a little miscast. <laughs> okay. I just, I, I think I've, I maybe I've seen him in too many other roles. Right. Being Woody Harrelson. <laughs> to, <laughs> to buy him as this military, you know, zealotry, you know, zealot leader, you know, guy. I right. don't know. But he does give a good performance. The performance mm-hmm. isn't the problem. He, he, he does the best Woody Harrelson version <laughs> of the Colonel that's possible. Well, we'll see the Woody Harrelson version of Cletus Cassidy soon, maybe. Yeah. I think I rolled that easier. Um, yeah, it's crazy. But it, but it always takes me about, I'd say, five to ten minutes to adjust to Woody Harrelson as the colonel. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, man, why are they going with Woody Harrelson? <laughs> but, but, I, but I buy into it before right. it's over. That, that's how good his performance is. Um, mm-hmm. He's doing such a good job at it that I eventually I get used to it. I'm like, okay, this, this is good. Um, I'm going with Andy Serkis, though. Um, I, I, I just, I, it, they capture a lot of it is him. It's not just CGI. He's wearing the full mocap suit with all the ping pong balls on his face and all that jazz. So it, it's all, it's all him as far as the performance, the facial features, the, the physical mannerisms, um, the voice. I mean, it's all Andy Circus. And if, I mean, <laughs> if you've watched this new trilogy as often as I have, you've been on quite the ride with, with Andy Circus as, as Caesar. And um, he's a, he's a very different, um, Caesar, each one of these movies, mm-hmm. and so I, I think it's kind of a cumulative award as well to see him as sort of the um, a really young, naive Caesar in the in the first movie, and, th- and then the second movie, he's becoming a leader and he's leading a movement, and here at the end of his life, to see him, you know, go from you know hopeful to I mean bitter and angry and filled with hatred and rage, and at the end at peace, to see to go on that full ride, to see how a- Andy Circus you know, delivered that performance. I mean, it, it's pretty impressive. I like it. And, you know, I think Caesar in this one is like, a, he's, he's grizzled. He's war weary. He, he's just, you know, I mean, he's, you know, I mean, they, and they talk about it, you know, with, from uh, the, what was the character's name in Dawn? I can't remember his name. Koba. Koba. That's it. Yeah. Koba. Uh, I always call him Kuba, and then I go, no, that's Gooding Jr. But, you know, exactly. Show me the monkey. Uh, but, so, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, to see that that character, and he he's becoming his, his worst fear, I think, and he realizes that, and I think he comes to peace with, with what it is. So, yeah, yeah. The uh, those those few little flashbacks and uh, with with Koba were pretty powerful. And then when Maurice confronts him and tells mm-hmm. him that he sounds like Koba, I mean, yep. and 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 the way that Circus delivers his reaction there, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I was it's, I, I'm just I'm really impressed. Just to throw back real quick, when you were talking about how does this movie get made, then you also have to include well, like. Sixty percent of the dialogues in sign, and people <laughs> have to read the, the the subtitles. You know, just just when you were mentioned about Maurice yeah. telling him he's like Kobe, I'm thinking, well, he signed that, didn't he? And <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to write that part down, but that was in my head too. Like, oh yeah, sixty percent of this movie is CGI monkeys, or CGI apes, sign languaging at each other. <laughs> Except for Steve's on going Odo and Bad Ape all the time. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> it's such a weird movie. <laughs> oh, but I love it. Um, all right, so best scene is the next award. I'm going for the 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 weird moment where Nova sneaks into the human zoo, as they call it. And specifically the, the moment for me, I, I enjoy all of it, See, seeing how she, she cares for them. And for her, it doesn't matter that she's, you know, a human and they're apes. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to her. 
Um, they're her friends. They're her people. I mean, they're her adopted family. So she, she doesn't care. She's just going to take care of them. They're, they need water and food, and she's going to help them. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're family. Um, but the moment especially, and I'm not going <laughs> to fake the funk, when, when they do the ape strong together hand motion, and then her little hands mm-hmm. do the, the ape strong together motion, first time I saw this movie, uh, I got, it got dusty in the room. <laughs> It was just, it's powerful, you know, because you think about all the things that separate us as people. And it's just this, it's just this you know, powerful message in this <laughs> silly movie about CGI apes. No, we're better together, you know, we're stronger together. And it, it just emotionally got to me. And it, I, I don't, you know, I haven't cried since then. But um, every time that movie, that, that moment in this movie feels really powerful to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just this powerful message. You know, we're stronger together. Whether it's just, you know, whatever our differences that separate us, we're stronger together. And I just, I, I find that moment, uh, it's a good, it's a great scene, but I, I find that specific moment very powerful. And, and that's important because when you juxtapose Nova and then the Colonel, both human, but both have very different ideas, opinions, motivations, uh, and, and ways of seeing the world, you know, and once again, the eyes of a child, right? I mean, you get into that, that idea. So, yeah. Um, okay. So you, you mentioned the tunnels, right? But I'm going to be really honest. This is the apes version of Hogan's Heroes. This is like <laughs> Stalag 13 escape route. Okay. And that's all I kept thinking the entire time. But the moment that bad ape's little head pops out of that hole, <laughs> I cannot help but laugh to see his little bald head come out of that hole. <laughs> and and even though it, yeah, I agree with you. It's about three inches of dirt. <laughs> Get his little head out of it. I, I'll agree completely. But it's it is a very important scene, though. You know, because that is the scene that facilitates the escape, and then in turn. Leads to them getting out, and then, it, like I said, that that little bit of humor. I'm just it, anytime I can have a little bit of humor in a movie, it's just a win-win. So, yeah, but it, but that moment also leads to the escape, and because Rocket gives himself up to to spare her, and so yep. like so like they a lot of them the, the humans are oppressing them. They've got them locked up in cages and are working them to death. Mm-hmm. And Rocket sacrifices himself for this one human. You know, it's yep. just it's I love that scene. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, did you have a different missing or were you agreeing with no, me? No, that I agree with you. Okay. I, and like I said, I was just the, the whole Hogan's heroes thing just kind of <laughs> caught me and I just laughed. So, <laughs> but we needed bad eight for stuff like that. Uh, did. Yeah. I mean, this would have, I mean, I don't say, I'm not saying it would have been a dreary movie, but it would have been an even more somber movie than it is without uh-huh. him. Lightening the, the mood a few times here and there. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, best character, Sammy. Who's your favorite character? We know that that discussion leads us into my best character. Bad Ape is great. You know, he, he makes me laugh. He breaks my heart. You know, you, you could not have gotten anybody better than Steve Zahn to voice Bad Ape. And just the story of why he he calls himself Bad Ape, he thinks that's his name, but that's just because he heard it so much from humans. It just, like I said, it breaks your heart. But the fact that he dresses in all the human clothes and, you know, comes with a little puffer jacket and the toboggan and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, And I think in a movie like this, like you talked about with themes, this is such an interesting look at nature versus nurture. The way that he was raised, Bad Ape was raised, versus the way the other apes kind of developed. And he has more human attributes. He's that that he's almost the missing link between ape and man in some way in this movie. And I think that's why he works. Um, it, it, that and it's all he knew, you know, was, was what humans taught him and what he saw from them. And I just, like I said, I just love him. I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, being follically challenged, you've got to appreciate <laughs> an, an, another uh, bald character. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, see, he, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer. Like Rocket probably has like alopecia or something is the reason he has no fur. You know, <laughs> Bad Ape's just going bald. You know. <laughs> now, um, I think it's interesting too. Okay, mo- most of the um, the apes this movie were like sci- scientific, you know, trial monkeys. You know, what's called monkeys again, apes. Um, but Bad Ape and Caesar were the two that were had the most human interactions. Mm-hmm. Caesar was raised as part of a human family, and and he was given love and he was cared for and he, you know and so we see you know those kind of human traits in him. Whereas Bad Ape was raised in a zoo and. Mm-hmm. He was this thing to be, you know, looked at and apparently mocked and yelled at a lot. <laughs> I've got a cat that probably thinks his name is Bad Kitty. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Bad, Bad Ape was my favorite too. I just, I, he's the, I mean, Caesar's probably the best character, but I just, I love Bad Ape. Uh, and, and Steve Zahn is one of those guys. You just, I think if you don't like Steve Zahn, I mean, you're probably, you're a bad person. I mean, <laughs> I mean, every every movie I've ever seen him in, every interview, every... I mean, he just seemed like the most likable guy ever, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and with Bad Ape, I lo- the, even just the little subtle things. Like like when Nova was touchy, he says, no, that's mine. And he kept moving <laughs> it away. No, 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 that's mine. You know? <laughs> just a little subtleties, man, about that character. <laughs> and I, I had forgotten why I did this, but I, I do the Bad Ape oh no all the time. <laughs> I'd forgotten where I'd, where, I'd, where I'd gotten that from. And so I saw the movie go like, oh, yeah, that's why I go, oh, no. <laughs> but he, he has a few of those, you know, quiet moments when he, when he talks to Caesar. Because yeah, he refuses to take it, but the humans do it first. And then, you know, I had a son. I, I had a child. And they agreed to take him. And it was just, and, and, when, he, and when he gives Nova his jacket. Yeah. Uh, of course, he had the puffer vest, and, you know, held back. But yeah. <laughs> but he but he did give her the jacket, so yes. So here we go. All right. Uh, next award is best quote. And um, <laughs> there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. <laughs> um, but I do have one little exchange that I like. And it's when um, Caesar is kind of nailed up in a Christ pose. And uh, Red Donkey comes to him and says, you know, Colonel shoot apes when wall's done. And I think Caesar... You know, beyond suspected that. Um, and Caesar says, his wall is madness. It will not save him any more than it will save you. And the red donkey says, I saved myself. And then there's this line that I think, you know, really settled on me as a viewer, but also I think it settled on the character of red donkey. It was what, it was what stuck with him and made him have a small redemption moment at the end of the movie. And so Caesar tells him, is there anything left of you to save? Mm-hmm. It was just a great, little exchange there and i and i think that that is an important moment for what happens kind of in that climactic scene with between them you know with, yeah because with, yeah because at the end red donkey gets a grenade launcher and uh yeah does the boba well, fett disintegration on preacher yeah yep so i mean i just think that that that's important yeah you know and and let me ask you this because i know you're 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 really be a huge fan of these movies is donkey because of donkey kong i don't know that they I never wasn't explained for sure. it it wasn't in the earlier movies i don't mm-hmm. I, I don't remember it at all because um, okay. i don't think there, there there weren't um you know eight collaborators uh, in the earlier movies right and so i, I they never explained it. I, I assume it's because of donkey kong but i don't I, that, that that was where my mind went to you know, is okay. There, it's it's a derogatory term. Yeah. Or they wouldn't have it like spray painted essentially on his back. You know, so it's very derogatory. So I was just thinking Donkey Kong as an ape. You know that kind of thing. So, all right. As far as quote, I went with an, another exchange because, like you said, I mean, there there's not really a whole lot of just single lines. I think you can pull out of this, and um, you know, we know throughout this 
Caesar is on a mission, but I love that Maurice is almost like his conscious. He is, he's almost the Jiminy cricket to, for, for Caesar. And when Caesar looks at him and says, we cannot take her Maurice and Maurice signs back. I understand that I cannot leave her. You know, I mean, that's humanity within Maurice to leave this little girl alone, defenseless. Uh, he just can't do it. And, and just like I said, that's uh, to me, that's a touching scene. That was my backup. I, I love that moment, too. <laughs> and, and, and it shows, too, I mean, how much Caesar has departed from who he is. Mm-hmm. Because Caesar and Maurice were lockstep before right. the death of his wife and child. And that shows, I mean, that he's swung between the pendulum between you know, Maurice and Coba. Right. He has swung so far in the Coba direction that that moment that Maurice has to tell him that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was it was a, it was a, it was a really good line. It was a good scene, but it was also it was really revealing yeah. of what's happening inside Caesar. Uh, next award is best update from the original series. Hmm. Now this one was a little tough for me, only because we um, have talked about how this movie is very thematic, but I did love the the two big action sequences. And, you know, I feel like in the original movie, there's a whole lot of apes on horseback, but you don't really get a whole lot of action. You know, you don't get a whole lot of this, you know, firing a few uh, rifles at each other, but you you don't really get that that heightened action. And I think that beginning scene, just as the the soldiers are coming up and they blow up the wall and you just see the eight bodies flying through the air – you know, I, I think to me that that's an update. I think the the idea that we can now pull this a little bit, we can see the strength of the apes, we can see those types of things that we couldn't see with you know the the guy in the suit type of thing. You know, and, and I think in the, even in the original, the apes were menacing looking, but we didn't get to really see anything like really straightforward. I don't think as far as action, so. At least those two scenes. <laughs> there, there were men in ape suits afraid of fire in the second movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then the earth splits, and then the you know. oh yeah, <laughs> and then the lawgiver cried blood, and you know, crazy stuff, man. <laughs> action, man! It was it was action. Anyway, um, I I think I think that the the, the biggest overall update. Um, was that they gave more thought to making the apes more ape-like and, and look and posture and movement, but also um, in the way that them being apes, like they're intelligent now. They have human, human or you know, some of them have human intelligence. Uh, a lot of them are approaching human intelligence. Um, but they don't just set up a new human-style culture. E- even the culture they're building is more, they've get, like the, the writers have given some thought, like hey, what would an ape, an intelligent ape culture um, be like. I, I think I just they give so much more thought into what what, what that would entail, mm-hmm. and it not and not just what you know how they move in CGI, which a lot of it's Andy Circus. I saw about the making of. <laughs> He's doing all this stuff. Um, a lot of it's Andy Circus, um, but just the entire thing, like the way the way they interact with each other, the way the society set up, the way they build their own habitats. It's more ape like and not just you know, you know, copying. Not just aping human society, right? I I think that was a big improvement. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I mean, if, even if you think about the the originals, I mean, they they were just stand in for humans in a lot of ways. Uh, I think even in the second one, was it that when they give them oranges? They sit down to get the plates out. They set the napkins <laughs> and the forks, and and they start cutting the the oranges. And you know, I mean, they're they're like you said, just kind of mimicking human behavior. And I agree with you. This this gave their own culture to it. All right, last award is <laughs> uh, this probably isn't all that clever, but man, it felt clever when I typed it. Um, <laughs> best that moment made me glad Matt Reeves is directing the new Batman movie. Um, I know for a lot of people, Matt Reese is not a big name. Um, he's not a well-known director. He doesn't have a huge filmography. Um, but how good this movie is, especially, but also Dawn. Dawn is a very good movie. 
Um, <laughs> gave me great confidence in Matt Reeves when they announced that. Because I think, I think a lot of nerds are very disappointed when Ben Affleck you know, wasn't going to write and direct the new Batman movie. And they're like, well, who's Matt Reeves? <laughs> I just kept going, no, it's okay. We can trust him. It's okay. Matt Reeves is good. <laughs> um, and then he cast Pattinson. And I was like, it's, I, I don't get it, but hey, hang on. I trust Matt Reeves. <laughs> Let's wait. <laughs> and so, but there, I think there are several moments in here that are so well-directed and have such care for the, the entire like, structure of the scene, the interactions, the way it's shot and felt, the whole, the whole deal. Um, I think I think that it can inspire confidence. And for me, the, the biggest one, as far as going directly to a to going from this movie to the Batman, is the confrontation scene in the kitchen with Winter, um, because it's this quiet moment. It's dark. Um, it's intimidating. There's there's a lot of things happening outside, and it's it's quiet. There's there's a subtle action, you know, kind of things that Batman does in alleys, um, but it's not just you know a quick you know scuffle. There's a, a, it's an emotional scene as well. And I, I feel like Batman's at his best when it's not just punching bad dudes, but also there's like, you know, there's something behind it. There's something more going on there. And I feel like a lot of these scenes, there's not just what's happening in front of our eyes. There's, there's more going on in the scenes. They're, they're, they're kind of multi-layered in a way. And, and that, that confrontation with winter, especially um, made me think, I, I want to see Batman do something like that. I don't want him to see choking dudes out and killing them, but like, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, that, yeah. that, 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 that kind of emotionally powerful, you know, struggle fight scene type deal. I would like to see something like that in a Batman movie. Cool. You know, I kind of thought of it along those same lines. When, when I watched war, I really thought the way that Reeves directs the characters and their interactions, the way they relate to one another. Um, I, I think about the scene where Caesar is first brought into the colonel and just the tension in that scene. And I can see that playing up between Batman and the Arkham inmates or Batman and the GCPD. You know, I can see that that kind of tense emotional interaction really leading to a strong Batman movie. Um, we'll see if Pattinson can pull it off, you know, in terms of acting. But, you know, I, I think that Reeves can direct that. And I think this movie shows it. Well, think, think of the power of that final confrontation between Caesar and the Colonel um, and the emotional turmoil on a CGI face. I still, it's mm -hmm. mind blowing. I forget their CGI a lot of the time. Yeah. But I mean, I, I could I could see that kind of scene, like Batman is you know doing the final confrontation in the movie with whoever the Scarecrow, whoever the bad guy is in this movie, and that kind of emotional power in that confrontation, mm -hmm. I would I would love to see you know Matt Reeves. I'm I'm dying to see Matt Reeves take on the Batman. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, another fella who who also often has that emotional connection with us, especially here on this podcast would be, I, I, I'm not going to get as deep as Dwayne gets into this. I don't, <laughs> I don't have that kind of verbose nature, but it, he, he truly makes us feel. And that's the reason Jamie, that every episode we connect to Keanu Reeves. So Jamie, tell us, tell me, tell our listeners where is Keanu Reeves in this war for the planet of the apes? All right. Um, this one's going to be a little bit of a Captain Obvious making his reappearance. Um, <laughs> sometimes life is surprising and expect expectations and plans go awry. For example, I learned recently that before Jim Lee became Jim Lee, the legendary artist, he had went to medical school. Uh, didn't see that coming. Um, well, our Keanu connection this week had a career that has done a similar thing. Like, it looked like it was on one trajectory, and then a whole bunch of weird stuff happened. Um, so the Keanu connection this week has played multiple serial killers, a smut peddler, a zombie hunter, a thief magician, and an over-the-hill Texas Ranger movie that nobody has watched but I love, and a smuggler in the wars. But he started off his career playing a wholesome, naive country bumpkin tending bar on a little show called Cheers. Who saw the career Woody Harrelson has had 
and they were watching Cheers. Uh, so Woody Harrelson played the colonel in this movie. Um, but most importantly for our purposes today, he co-starred with our beloved Keanu as Ernie Luckman in A Scanner Darkly. Woody Harrelson is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> All right. So uh, Woody Harrelson. Very nice. Very nice. I wanted I like it, it to be Steve Zahn. That was where I went first. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of Steve Zahn without thinking Lenny's going fishing <laughs> from uh, <laughs> from that thing you do. <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> I bet we could talk Dwayne into doing that movie with us with his, you know, love of music. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I so want an Oneeders t-shirt. <laughs> so I saw one one day online and I'm like, I want that Oneeders t-shirt. <laughs> uh, well, uh, next week is one of our special weeks where our listeners get to decide for us what we're watching. So we're going to do the roll. We're going to roll a 20-sided die. Hold on. Sammy's got the die, and I've got the list. So okay. get it pulled up. And I'm a little scared. There's a couple of these. I'm not super interested in reviewing. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be completely honest. Which could make for a real interesting review. <laughs> All right. Jamie, are we ready? Flash Gordon's a terrible movie. That's a pretty good episode, though. Anyway. It's a great episode. All right. All right. Fire up the die. Let's go. All right, here we go. All right. Number 10. The Adams Family Movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, I have very fond memories of this movie. Uh-huh. So, right, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we will be watching the Adams Family Movie. It's, not watch, it's the wrong time of year for this. We should do this at Halloween. But. Yeah, really. But, hey, you know. Last <laughs> spooky enough, right? So we'll <laughs> the listeners get what they want. That's um, right. <laughs> um, if I can find this streaming somewhere, I'll post it on the Facebook page. And so, so for all the listeners who are also m- members on our Facebook page, this will be on there somewhere. And if you're a listener who's not a member of the Facebook page, this would be a good time to join, and we will tell you uh, how to find this thing. And if not, um, happy hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we've got somewhere to watch this. I'm sure Freeform has an app. <laughs> I don't have a good outro for this one. I haven't oh, seen no. it in a long time. Well. Uh, until next time, Dodge Uncle Fester, as we keep it nerdy? I don't know. The Adams Family movie is streaming on Prime Vudu, Google Play, and Apple, Redbox, and Fandango for $2.99. It's not free anywhere currently. Hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoyed the episode.